I want you to open your Bibles in Matthew 23. So Gert that preached last week in the morning service, he also used use the controversial statement out of Matthew. And just interesting, something that happened. So he prayed for a lady, lots of detail, massive miracle. But there was a healing that happened with a specific baby that was just born. And the, the mother or the grandmother of that baby came to me afterwards or after this morning service and said, Hey, we just want to tell you that this thing happened. Long story. Beautiful, beautiful miracle. Massive miracle. And we named the baby Matthew because Gert preached out of Matthew last week. So hopefully there will be more Matthews next week. Okay, but if you're not married, don't go and get babies. Okay, Matthew 23. Um, so we're talking about controversial statements of, of Jesus. And the idea behind this series is that we have to look at the whole gospel. You need to take all of what Jesus said and you need to apply it to yourself. Sometimes we think, okay, this is for me. This is for the other person. No. Every word of Jesus has an application in your life. So we're going to look at Matthew 23, and Jesus is going after the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's not holding back. He's really going after, after them. So Pharisees, they were a sect within the Jewish nation that had the, the responsibility of leading sort of the, the adherence to the law. Of, of things. So big traditionalists knew Scripture very well, the Old Testament. So think of them being your theologians, your pastors, the people in, in full-time ministry. And then there's also the scribes, and they were responsible for maintaining the written records of the Torah. So yes, there was overlap, but, but Jesus is addressing these two sects within the Jewish nation. So these are the people that people looked up to. These are the famous people within the Jewish nation. So the first part from verse 1 to 12, we see that Jesus is in a way gossiping about the scribes and the Pharisees. So he's speaking to the crowds and he's speaking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, do not do it like the Pharisees and the scribes. You must be different. And I'm coming to show you a new way of living, a new way of practicing your faith. And then in verse 13, he just goes directly after them. And he says, Pharisees and scribes, woe to you. And we get seven woes that he's giving to them. And we're going to look at that. So take your seatbelts, fasten them, because this is going to be a rough ride. And I'm calling this sermon, we want to... Ask Jesus to rebuke the Pharisee on the inside of us. Because there's, there's a Pharisee in all of us. You might think, well, you're not, you're not a theologian. You're not like Armour. You didn't go and study theology. You're not even doing Bible school. But there's a Pharisee in you. And tonight, Jesus wants to kill that Pharisee. Because he wants to get you into a proper relationship with him. So this is not for your friend or your mom or that person from the other church, this is for you sitting here tonight. And that's just good 
hermeneutic principles also. We can't read scripture for other people. There's not a, a verse that you need to send to someone else. This is a verse that you need to send to yourself. Those notes that you make on WhatsApp that you send to yourself, this is um, the verses that you need to send to yourself. Okay, so we're going to go Matthew 23. And I'm reading from the ESV. Then Jesus said to the crowds and, and his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and so do and observe whatever, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. They, for they preach but do not practice. Imagine God or Jesus saying that about you, to you as a dad or employee. Listen here, listen to what he says, but do not practice what he practices. Because he's not doing what he's supposed to do. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they, they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries. And what that is, those were little leather cubicles that they would tie to their heads and to their left arms with scripture verses in it so that they can study the scriptures. So they didn't really look cool, go and Google it, but they felt cool because now they, they're applying the law or they're adhering to the law that says that you must keep the, the word close, close by. And their fringes long and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. So he's obviously not saying tonight, go home and tell your dad you're not going to call your dad dad anymore. That's not what he's saying. But he's speaking of these people that want to take up this position of authority in your life, and you don't have to call them father. We don't have... The, the grace in our lives to step into people's lives and say, listen here, I'm taking up this position. It's not about titles. That's basically what he is saying. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus would always come back to this principle is that we need to serve. If you want to follow me, you need to be a servant. You need to do what I have done. I've modeled to you how to do this. I am God, but I died on a cross for your sake. Look at my humility. Now go and do that to other people also. So just four rules to maintain or not maintain, to discipline this inner Pharisee of you. We're going to look at them now. Because all of, we, all of us have this inner Pharisee on the inside. Number one, preach what you practice. We all know that it said, practice what you preach. Jesus is saying, no, preach what you practice. So do first. Show people how it's done and then... Because you've already done it, then you can tell people, hey, live like this. 
Number two, do what you expect of other people. So this is not speaking of gifting. This is speaking of character. So I'm not going to say, James, listen here. I need to model to you how to, how to develop your gift and how to use your gift for God's sake. So I'm going to start worshiping Jesus on the front, on the platform. That's not what God's saying. But what God's saying is, hey, James, I'm going to model to you as a leader. I need to model to you what servant leadership looks like. If I want to be James's leader, then I need to be a servant. I need to do things not for the recognition of people, but for the recognition of God. God must see what I'm doing, and I must be satisfied with Him being pleased. Not some other leader of the world outside or social media. Just, just God. So do what you expect of other people. So in other words, model what you expect of other people. If you, if you tell people, listen here, you need to sacrifice for God. You need to come early to church so that you can pray with us. You need to be here faithfully every Sunday. You need to join a small group. Then you need to model this. If you're not going to do this, people will not follow you in that specific area. As a father, I know it's so important. My kids, yes, they might do what I tell them to do, but ultimately they're going to follow what they see I am doing. If I preach measles, but I have chicken pox, they're going to get chicken pox. It's a natural principle. Do without expecting recognition. So the Pharisees, they loved the titles, Father so-and-so. That seat at the feast. In our day and age, is the same. We all love recognition. I have four kids, all of them. Want to be recognized. They do funny things, and then they look at you like, Hey, Dad, did you see? So my most introverted kids, little junior Armel, so we had friends over. I think it was actually a guest speaker. And then he came out running half naked. So he still had his pants on, half naked. And then suddenly, he just took everything off and ran around the house. I'm like, what are you doing? But he's, he's looking for attention. He's looking for recognition. When they play sport, they do something brilliant. They try and find you in the crowd, and they're like, did you say? Did you say? And that is, all of us have that desire. And as a father, I know I need to give that to my kids. So I, I love them. I tell them, hey, you don't have to do brilliant stuff to be loved by me. I will just love you for the way that you are. I asked him the other day, hey, so why do I love you? Do you know why I love you? And they're like, no, we don't know. I said, because you are my son, therefore I love you. Not because of what you've done or what you're doing and how cute you are and how, how, how difficult you make my life for me. No, I just love you. But hopefully as they grow up, they will become mature and they will understand that they don't have to do something to be recognized. And we see it in adults. Some adults are still waiting for the father to see them on a rugby field tackling very hard or killing that guy with, with whatever move, 
while they're wrestling. I don't know why. I don't know what, what your case was. Because we've never received that from our parents. So that's why it's so important. But ultimately, that's not where you need to stay. You need to get to a place where you're satisfied with doing something that nobody sees. And you know in your quiet place, you and God, you have a laugh there and you're like, oh, God, did you see it? And God's like, yeah, man, I saw it. And I'm going to reward you for that. So it's so important that we don't do things to be recognized by people. And then number four, choose to serve humbly. You're just a servant. Matthew 25, parable of the talents, and the two guys that did well, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful boss. No, he didn't say that. Well done, good and faithful servant. So if you choose to serve, then God's going to reward you. Then you're going to be recognized in heaven, and that's where... All the power and all the authority lies. That's what you want. It's in a way almost more selfish to serve because you know you're going to get more reward. So these are just the four rules that you can take from 1 to 12, probably more. You can read it in your quiet time. So let's go on to verse 13. And here Jesus is going for it. So verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Imagine Jesus speaking to you like this. But in a way, we must allow for Jesus to speak to us. Where is the hypocrite in you? For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So number one, don't shut heaven's door in people's faces. Sometimes we make it so difficult for people to get into heaven. We're not modeling Christianity very well. But it's very simple. To get into relationship with the Lord, because that's what God's after, it's very simple. You need to get to Jesus. No matter where you are, what you're currently doing, where you come from, how much you hurt, the music playlist that you're listening to, you just need to come into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. The rest, Jesus will sort out. Yes, we need to guide people. They cannot go and watch age-restricted movies of 18, X, S, N, Beer, Allah, And we will guide them. But the first and highest priority is just to get them to Jesus. Number two, we see that from verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And it speaks of all these unnecessary, burdensome requirements that people put and people that are getting saved. It's again, it's simple. 
Get them to follow Jesus. Model a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Number three, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So the Pharisees, what they did is they became so technical in everything. Hey, listen here, brother. If you swear by the temple's gold, then you're bound. But if you just swear by the temple, then you're not bound. It's too technical. It's too complicated. A relationship with God is so much simpler. That's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen here, this is what you need to do in terms of oaths. Just say yes. Let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. If you're going to go and gym with your friend, and you say you'll be there at 5 o'clock in the morning, then you will be there at 5 o'clock in the morning. That's a yes. If you say, hey, I'm going to come to church, then you're going to come to church. That's just a yes. And you will become trustworthy. If you tell God, God, you can say anything to me. And that's my yes. And then God says something to you that's not that nice. You can't just now backtrack and say, hey, Lord, I didn't say that. I didn't say, hey, you're allowed to say, rebuke the inner Pharisee in Armel. So let your yes be your yes. Just don't make it too complicated. There's a saying that goes, if we dissect the frog, then we also kill it. Sometimes people go in all these technical detail with Christianity and, hey, is this not what the Scripture says? So the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, how does it work together? So Jesus says he fulfilled the Old Covenant. So what are we to do now with the Sabbath? Is Sabbath now on the Friday? Or is it not on Saturday? Is it Sunday? Okay, so Jesus died on the Friday, and then we have Good Friday on Friday, but then on the Sunday we have Easter Sunday, but how does that work? Because Jesus said that it will be three days. And just, people make it so complicated. I love talking about those things, by the way. I'm a, the, I'm a theologian, and I've studied those things, and I love debating those things. But that is not the priority when it comes to Christianity. The priority is relationship with the Lord. My five-year-old Julia can have a relationship with God. Why? Because God, Jesus, said we can become like little children. We should become like little, little children. So live a simple life. That's what Jesus also modeled in the way that he lived on earth. Number four in verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. It's hurting Jesus. You've now four times called us hypocrites. 
For your tithe, mint, and dull, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done. Talking about tithing. So Jesus is not saying you shouldn't tithe. He's saying, hey, you should have done those things. Without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat, and swallowing a camel. So Jesus is saying, the priorities that I have for you is, is number one, is justice. Justice is about what is right and what is wrong. In the new covenant, there's a new dimension to justice. And I just quickly want to take you to a scripture in Romans 3.23, because I think that's very important. So you can just take your Bibles and open at Romans 3.23, because this will explain justice to you. And while I was sitting there in the worship, I just felt the Lord saying, just, just quickly go here. And we're just going to go two verses. And here's the gospel in two verses. If you want to share the gospel, you can just use Romans 3, 23 and 24. So 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Say this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that is our state, that's where we're at when we don't know Jesus. We fall short of the glory of God because we're all sinners. But so often people stop there. Now read on in verse 24. And, so this, this is speaking about people that are in Jesus. And are justified by His grace as a gift. What is a gift? Is it something that you deserve? No. Something you get. Your name under the Christmas tree, you didn't deserve it. Although some parents tell their kids, hey, Father Christmas is looking at your whole year and he's seeing if you deserve that gift. It depends on how you behaved, whether you will get a bicycle or a lollipop. Okay, no, a gift, it's something that we get and we don't deserve. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So here it talks about the, the justice that Jesus worked for us. This is the weightier matter. So justice in the new covenant is, I am guilty, almost guilty. All of us are guilty. Why? Because we are born into sin. And then we stand before the judge, and the judge, he's a righteous judge. So he knows justice. He knows what justice is. But then he says, hey, Amal, I'm going to get somebody to look exactly like you. I'm creating Jesus in your image, because that's what Jesus came to do. I'm creating Jesus, or I'm putting Jesus as a human being in this land that you are living, He is becoming like you. Why? Because He wants to take all of who I am, my sinful nature, on Himself. Because we cannot get justice for ourselves. We cannot become innocent out of our own performance. A beautiful song that James helped us with. So then Jesus appears next to me and the judge looking at Armon. Suddenly his eyes turn towards 
Jesus and I look at Jesus and Jesus looks like me. He carries all my sin, everything that I've ever done wrong. And God says, this is my justice for you. He will take everything on himself. And then you can go free. And there you see Jesus goes and he gets killed on the cross. And he goes down to hell. He's in prison where all of us should have ended up. But then because of Jesus, we don't have to end up there. So that's the way to matter is justice is number one. And then after that is mercy. Mercy is speaking of God's loving kindness towards us in receiving especially justice that we do not deserve. And then faithfulness. To be faithful is a weighty matter. Be faithful in serving Jesus, faithful in your yes, faithful in worshiping Him. Then 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus is basically saying, Focus on the internal condition of your soul. Everything that you use to create an image for yourself, whether it's the clothes you wear, the way that you speak, the way that you every now and then tell a white lie so that you look better than you are. Everything, all of that, it's good. Put makeup on. It's beautiful. We love girls with makeup. It's Go to the gym so you get a summer body, but that's not the most important thing. It doesn't help you do all of those things, but you're rotten on the inside. You're full of self-indulgence and greed. Your blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And again. Hypocrites, sure, heavy. This is probably the heaviest of them all. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Thank you, Jesus, for rebuking us. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, your serpents, your brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that un you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, 
whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Sure, Jesus. But we read this piece also in the context of all of Scripture. We know of, of one Pharisee that meet, met with Jesus, at least. Who is that? It was Paul. He was, a, he was a learned man. He was persecuting exactly what Jesus is saying here. He was persecuting the prophets, the disciples. He was going from, time, from town to town, literally killing Christians. But then he met with God. So there's grace even for the Pharisee among us. So this last one is, for me, quite challenging. Because every now and then I would ask the Lord, Lord, I don't know, and maybe God, you can help me. Would I have been able to look at a guy like John the Baptist, who is in the wilderness screaming, repent of your sins, taking people to the waters and telling them, hey, your sins are now forgiven. Would I have been able to discern him to be a prophet? It's just weird. Where's his EQ? He's not fitting in with the crowd. He's not normal. Would I have been able to discern him to be a prophet from the Lord? And I think this might be the most difficult one for all of us. Every now and then there's somebody that sends me a YouTube clip and the guy on YouTube says... That guy is the Antichrist. You must be, a, be aware. That guy is the Antichrist. Or, hey, that guy says he's a prophet, but he's not really a prophet. Look at what happens in his church. Hey, what about that thing that happened with those people? And then it is against the Reformed theology crowd, it's against Hillsong, it's against the seeker-sensitive, it's against Bethel, it's against all of basically the denominations in, in the world. So who should I now believe? And yeah, I just want to put out a, a warning there. When Jesus talked about the one sin that, couldn't, that cannot be forgiven... It was a sin against the Holy Spirit. And the context there was, people came to him and said, you are driving our demons by Beelzebub. Beelzebub, if you translate it, it's Lord of the Flies, which was a nickname for the devil, Satan. So they were basically saying, hey, Jesus is not doing his ministry through the Holy Spirit. And we know that his ministry started after he got full of the Holy Spirit, and that's how he had the power to do the things that he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we point to people and we say, hey, that guy is doing that thing under a spiritual power that's not the Holy Spirit, and we're not sure, we're in dangerous territory. If you're saying, hey, that manifestation is not from the Lord, just be aware, you might be wrong. I've, I've been wrong. I went to somebody and he said, hey, this looks like a demonic manifestation. What are you doing? This is crazy. And I was trying to drive out the demon and the guy and I asked him a few minutes, 
in the session of trying to drive out the demon, he said to me, I said to him, hey, how are you feeling? He says, no, I just feel the wonderful peace of Jesus. And yes, if somebody, if there's a pastor that you know and he commits adultery and he sleeps around with many, many women, you can go to him and say, hey, you're a son of, the, of hell. You can say it to him because it's clear in Scripture. But if he's weird and he's maybe not, doesn't fit your box or he's from a different culture or he, he doesn't read the same translation as you, be very careful. Just be very careful. Some people judge people for reading the KJV, the King James Version. Other people judge people for reading the 1983 Vertaling from the Afrikaans Bible. Other people judge people for reading the Passion Translation. Other people judge people for reading the NIV. You will never win. But what is most important, and this is where the Pharisees missed it, is they missed, while well, here's Jesus, and he is God revealed. And they want to argue with him about the technicalities of the law and they miss the relationship with him because they're not humble. They pride themselves in their ability to walk according to the rules of Scripture. And there are beautiful rules in Scripture that you should follow. Like if you're young, follow the rule that Paul puts to the, the, the Corinthian church which says, Flee from sexual immorality. It's a great rule. Just go for it. Flee. But where does it start? It starts with a relationship with God. So, beautiful example in our church in Armand is a guy gets saved. He runs a tavern in a poor area. So what do you do with a tavern owner in your church that just gets saved? Our first response reaction probably is like, hey, close the tavern. Go. Get communion wine from him, says, says Rikas. So the guy comes to my pastor friend and says, Hey, I'm now saved. Do you think I should close the tavern? What would you say? My, my friend said, I'm not going to answer you. I want you to hear from the Lord. I want you to go to Jesus in your quiet time, and I want you to hear from the Lord. What is Jesus saying to you? What happened? Two weeks down the line, tavern is closed. He heard from the Lord. Not from the pastor. He heard from the Lord. Why? Because he has relationship now with God. And often people would come to, to us as pastors or counselors, and they would ask for advice. And there are a couple of reasons for people asking advice. One is people value input, and that's important. Proverbs speaks of in the counsel of many, you'll find wisdom, so ask for advice. But sometimes people are just lazy. They want to apply a rule. So, hey, Amo, pastor. I don't like being called pastor, so you can just call me Amo. Say, Amo, Equita Macy, who fat is the fat? What's any Bible? If you ask that question, you're already in the wrong. <laughs> hey, Amo, I want to know, should I go and study theology at Stellenbosch or go to Fire and Fragrance in Portostrom? I don't know. I really don't know. You 
You pray to the Lord and you hear from Him. And while you're doing that, you are getting the Pharisee out of our community, out of our culture. Pharisee that always lives by rules and there's just always more rules. So here's a dangerous thing that my dad did with us. But if you apply it in a healthy environment where the leader of the home models Jesus, for me, that's such a sign of the kingdom or modeling of the kingdom. So my dad never told my brother and I, I have a twin brother, that we are not allowed to drink alcohol or to get drunk or smoke cigarettes or do drugs or have have sex. He never said, hey, you're not allowed to do it. Never. Yes, he talked to us specifically about our sexual development and how this thing works when you get older and girls, etc. But he never said, you, never said you're not allowed to. Never in his life. But this is what he did. So whenever we got ourselves into a place where we'd go to a party or invited to a Maybe a dangerous place for a teenager. My dad would just do this. Hey, Omo Kenny, I love you. I'm proud of you. And then he said this, I trust you. And I'm like, oh, come on, dad. <laughs> and this is, how I, this is how I feel with, with my relationship with the Lord also. God saying, Amo, I trust you. I'm like, oh, come on, just give me the rules, Lord. 